0: Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan, a team dedicated to building uniquely close relationships with all clients, including individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and generations of family members seeking legal advice. Online at bestlaw.com. Best and Flanagan, lawyers you know.
1: He was a retired, I guess you would call him an artisan, kind of artistic welder. Hmm. And I stumbled upon him, and I went. So we started welding these pieces. I had an idea; he would weld it. I'd go back the next day, pay him 150 bucks, and this went on for a couple of months. And he was actually very mean to me. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? Well, he he always made me pay cash. I was like, can I pay you at the end of the week and pay you a thousand? And said, and one day. He, he said to me he, he something like, do you know how many morons like you have walked in this door over the last 35 years? <laughs> and he said, none of, you know, inventors that, oh, I, and he said, none of you ever follow through. And I looked at him and I said, well, I'm not quitting.
0: From Twin Cities Business, this is by all means a show about innovation, drive and purpose and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. David Swan is the founder of Pure Golf, that's P-U-R, and it stands for producing unmatched results. Pure Golf is a training aid designed to help golfers improve their swing. The PGA declared it one of the three items golfers need to have in 2023. But this isn't a story about golf, so much as it is a story about determination and ingenuity. David started his career as a basketball coach, first in college and then for a professional team in Norway. His career has been a winding road since he retired from coaching in 2002. Real estate, software sales, motivational speaker, founder of Bright Day Energy, a Minneapolis-based company that specializes in LED and solar lighting. Only in the last few years did David add product inventor to that list when his golf game started to tank. David is an entrepreneurial thinker, and in improving his own golf game, he came up with a product that he knew could help others as well. When it didn't work, he tried again. And then again. On the 300th iteration, David says Pure Golf is finally ready for consumers. His friends, they think he's nuts. But then, isn't that the story with most successful founders? The doubters never get him down, because David says this is just the way he's wired.
1: I had my first business when I was probably 13. I had a rototilling business in Northfield, Minnesota. A what? Rototilling. I rototilled gardens. Really? Yes.
0: How did you get into that?
1: I uh, I think my brother had done it a little, and then, and then I did it, and... Um, But my dad tells this story. My dad ran the uh, Peace Corps arm at the University of Wisconsin. Mm. And when I was eight, we sold, uh, or his Peace Corps people sold peanuts at Camp Randall Stadium, the football stadium. Mm -hmm. And I decided to grab a box of peanuts, and I was the number one peanut salesman.
2: Wow. (laughs) And I remember
1: some student coming up to me and saying, uh, you could sell ice to Eskimos, and I had no idea what that meant. But uh, <laughs> evidently, it's true.
0: But know. you liked selling. You liked I business.
1: Li- yeah, I liked business. Yes, so I've dabbled in this my whole life.
0: So okay, you went to did you, you went to college?
1: I went to St Olaf. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: And did you focus on business? Did you? No, major in no. Business?
1: My in probably since I was sixteen, I wanted to be a basketball coach. Mm. So most people uh, know me as a basketball coach. Really? And I, I left the coaching profession, boy, this is, makes me feel old, probably 20 years ago.
0: Okay, tell us a little bit about your coaching career.
1: So I, I was an assistant at various places, and then when I was 25, I got my first head college job at a little school called Northland College.
0: Okay. We're, you I assume you played as yeah, well in yeah, college. Yeah, I played at I Was yeah.
1: a very below average player. Okay. Uh but I so I was the youngest college coach in America and the only reason I got the job is it was probably the worst college job in America. <laughs> and oh they yeah, they had just a a very very um uh, yeah, they 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 struggled, let's put it that way. And and I ended up my first year, I had a kid who led the nation in scoring. He was very good and got lucky on some recruits. And in the process of three years, we won 60 games.
0: That's amazing.
1: And so, yeah, it was it was great. But, you know, you surround yourself with good people. And I had kids who believed in what we were doing. And, mm-hmm. and we got a little... I think
0: you're being modest, though. That well, speaks well, no. to your coaching abilities. Yeah,
1: no, no. I, I, but. No, it was tremendous. And then I I took a, I was kind of uh, wooed to uh, take a job at Lake Forest College Mm -hmm. and that didn't go so well. Um, (laughs) I knew after two days that it was the biggest mistake I'd ever made in my life. Why? Oh, that's a long, it was, um, how do I put this kindly? They had problems that I kind of assumed we all knew needed to be fixed, and um, I assumed that we were going to fix them, and they wanted them fixed without fixing them, mm. and that isn't really possible.
0: That's a tough spot to step into.
1: So yeah, that that was a, it was a, it was an awful awful nine months. It was a, yeah, but I I look back and it opened up doors so I
0: you went I, to Norway at some so point. then
1: so then I through the grace of God and a lot of luck I knew some people that knew some people that knew some people and I ended up uh spending seven years in Norway coaching a professional team hmm. and those were the greatest years of my life I mean, really we, we had in, was it
0: a little Ted Lasso ish
1: yeah, uh, n- n- yeah, not really, but we, we had just incredible, incredible success. We built this just powerhouse and um, did a lot of community uh, work and just, just made a, a huge difference in Norwegian basketball. And uh, the downside was I was never home. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember we had two young kids, and we flew home, so I had just signed a new three-year contract and my wife and I were on the plane. We were flying home to the final four in, um, in Atlanta. And she got out her calendar. And this is actually still hard to talk about 20 years ago. And she had a circle, a red number in a circle on every day of the year. And it was like 10, 8, 6, 14, 0. And she said, Do you know what this is? And I said, No. She said, This is how many minutes you were home when the kids were awake. Mm. and she said I'm not doing this anymore so I literally got off the plane uh, called the team and I said I'm not coming back (laughs) they weren't very happy they were like hey you just signed a three-year contract I said I can't come back wow so that kind of opened up a new chapter and and I I literally you, you know it was you realize looking back for my entire adult life, I was introduced as David Swan, the basketball coach. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how people introduce that. That's what happens with sports. It's kind of weird. Yeah, sure. Right. No one says, oh, this is, this is David Swan, the banker, right? right? It was always, oh, this is David Swan, he's coaching at X college. Because he... people
0: are excited by right. sports, they want right. to talk and, about and
1: that. And so all of a sudden I wasn't David Swan, the basketball coach anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was, was that like, hard for you? Oh, I was like, what in the hell am I gonna do with yeah. my life?
0: identity crisis.
1: So long, long story short, I ended up uh, working for the Wisconsin Sports Development Corporation. Uh, it's the only office job I've ever had, and I realized very quickly that wasn't suited for me, and then I started a environmental land development company.
0: That's so what, I, I mean, yeah, I, you're
1: shaking your head. What? like, Yeah, <laughs> I you know, um, I I I have a a passion for the outdoors, and and so we had a very unique niche in that we uh, developed lakeshore property. I did not build houses; we just did all the environmental protections, etc. And that was just, we built this just incredible organization and had a lot of success and it Hmm. was a lot of fun. And then the market crashed in 2008. And within about two months, my life completely changed. And I, I used to say I lost everything because at the time it felt like I lost everything. And now I just say I lost all my money and then a lot of money I didn't have, so it was it was pretty devastating. I mean that wow. that was wow. That I I have a new appreciation for people that struggle financially because yeah. I mean we were doing really really well and lost millions like um, overnight. Like overnight, basically, yes. Which I never thought could happen, right?
0: Right, right. How, yeah. I, I I imagine that informs every decision you make after that once you've had that oh, experience. Oh yeah,
1: and you know, so I, I developed this, this mantra that it'll all be funny in 10 years mm. and it's still not funny. <laughs> so it's been, it's been what, 15 years? It, it's a little, it's, it's a, but, and I didn't listen. It's one of the few times in my life I didn't listen to experts and my attorneys were like, just file for bankruptcy. This is why there is bankruptcy. I mean, I obviously had corporations set up, et cetera. And it was like the perfect storm. We had a bunch of projects we had pre-sold where we hadn't put in the roads we had promised. We hadn't put in the septic. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And I so I lost everything. And then I borrowed a ton of money and finished these projects, which was just foolish. Mm. And kind of the crazy thing, if any of these people are listening out there, I mean, we really tried to do the right thing. And not one person thanked me. Really? Not one. Because they were all bitter because they had you know spent four hundred thousand dollars on a lake lot that was now worth a hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and it was like my fault, right, and mm-hmm. I didn't go back to them and say, "Hey, the people I bought the chunk of land for five million dollars from I didn't go back to them and say, "Hey, it's only worth six hundred thousand now sure. it was just a bad storm, right yeah,
0: yeah so so how did you come out of that storm you You went into a different kind of sales after that
1: yeah, so then i I ended up um. You know, and it, it just, when I, when I go through this, it makes me feel like a, a carnival barker or something. But I went back to Norway and um, I ran an ocean-based energy company with the goal of trying to sell it and um, worked for my first uh, insanely crazy entrepreneur. mm um, And the company, yeah, basically, we—it's—it's a very, very long story. But I think he had an invention that could have possibly changed the world, Hmm. and um, just was not reasonable in getting financial partners, et cetera.
0: But did you like the energy of working in that kind of startup environment?
1: Well, it was, yeah. I mean, I didn't know what a kilowatt hour was at that time, much less. So I, I traveled around the world meeting with Siemens and these huge companies trying to get investment. Mm-hmm. So it was something that I hadn't done. And actually, the, the son of the owner of this company he was a basketball fan of ours, mm. so that's what he, he literally called me out of the blue and said, "Hey, I want to meet with you." And I hey, was coach. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like, are you out of your mind? Yeah. I don't know anything about this. Mm-hmm. And then I also ran a, um, worked for my second semi-insane um, entrepreneur. We had a product development company based out of Norway, so I started their U.S. division. And he was another, I mean, there's, there's a theme, you know, that I have tried to take forward in my life, and that is to listen to people who are smarter than me. And I wasn't necessarily smarter than this guy who owned this company, but he just wouldn't listen to anyone. And he was named Scandinavian Entrepreneur of the Year, and then three years later, he was bankrupt because hmm. he just made lots of bad decisions. So, so, you,
0: so you learned a- along yeah. the way. It, at that point, were you, I mean, a little foreshadowing. Did you feel at that point like I have this same energy in me? There are well, yeah, inventions I always, and yes, products.
1: I, I, I always felt that, but I just didn't have the didn't have the idea, right? And I, I mean, I have, and I think, I guess, I'm an entrepreneur. I think there's a theme, you know, in my life and people that are kind of like me is that we are gigantic risk takers, mm-hmm. right? So going to Northland College in the middle of nowhere, I mean, I had players that were two years younger than me, right? And trying to, and I was like, "We're going to win a national championship here," you know. And everyone else is probably sitting there going, "What kind of drugs are you on?" (laughs) Right? But that 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 was inspiring. It wasn't wasn't daunting, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, so I you there were a
0: series of of jobs that got you got into energy. You then ended up starting your own. Energy company,
1: right? Right. Bright day. Right. So, right. So I, I own a a company uh, called Bright Day Energy, and and I partner with a tremendous uh, electrical engineering outfit called Noble Conservation out of the Twin Cities. We have you know thirty five full time electricians and engineers, et cetera. And I'm basically the pretty <laughs> pretty face that isn't so pretty. <laughs> And we we do commercial, but uh, um, four years ago I started. I mean, I'm an I'm an educator, at trait. My my family is educators. Um, I I feel very strongly in public education and the struggles they are having. So we started this program called the Bright Schools Project. And it is uh, specifically designed for public education and transforming their lighting. Hmm. And the first year, um, I think I lost $80,000 that Hmm. was all spent on marketing. The second year, I lost a little, and then it took, uh, took hold. And right now, I mean, we're sitting, so basically in the last three years, We've done over 100 schools. I I don't know the figure, but I think we're saving schools in Minnesota maybe 15 million kilowatt hours a year. Hmm. So I I don't think there's a player in the Midwest that is bigger than we are as far as transforming schools.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. D- does that – okay, before we get to the to the next yes. invention and the project that really is what brought you here today, I mean, do you enjoy – working on this business is it fulfilling is it
1: it's it's successful it's it's it is the if I was going to give you the sales pitch which I'm not going to give you you would start laughing and go well this has to be the easiest thing to sell in the world we we basically guarantee the school savings and if they don't save what we promise them uh, we pay the difference and so a school, like I'll give you an example, Farmington, 7,000 kids, they are positive cash flowing from day one, their project and saving 2.1 million kilowatt hours a year. Hmm. Uh, and it's not costing them literally a penny.
0: How, how, are, how, are, how is that a business? How are you making money?
1: Well, because the project costs $4 million, but okay. their savings is greater than their so we we find independent leasing partners. So I don't have anything to do with the money at all. I'm mm. not double dipping. Okay. And their their monthly lease is less than what they are saving. So we cut their energy costs sixty two percent on their lights. Mm-hmm. So they are saving more than they are spending on their monthly payment. Hmm. And then after the monthly payment is done, then they're going to save you know, a quarter million dollars a year. Right. So it's a business
0: you can feel good about.
1: Oh, absolutely. Is it,
0: does it, is it, um, are you passionate about it or do you just feel like a practical thing Oh, oh, no, no,
1: no. I am, I am very, I am very passionate about it. Um, the, you know, it's a different form. If you look at it from a pure, like, okay, a career Mm -hmm. sales job, I'm an elephant hunter. And, so the, the project at Farmington took three and a half years. So it was literally three and a half years of badgering them. And it, it's very typical because the, they don't believe what I'm telling them, right? And I think that the, the, one of my first commercial sales, it was this little gas station, and the guy literally was swearing at me like, get out of my office. And I was like, come on, let's just talk. And he reached in his desk and he pulled out a stack of 50, 75 business cards. And he said, do you know, and then he started swearing, you know, how many of you lighting salesmen, light bulb salesmen, you know, he's just Mm -hmm. furious. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and I said, and why do I have to pay for the sins of those that went before me? And he started laughing. He goes, "That's a great line. I will talk to you." But that's that's literally it, it's just a it's just a period of them. And maybe I'm not a very good salesman. That's why it takes three years. <laughs> no, but it's just it's so. just a period of them getting comfortable and believing what I'm telling them. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the more schools we've done, the easier. Because I, I I firmly believe you went back if you went back to any of these projects we've done and say, I mean, we've got fantastic testimonials on every one of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know. Hey Roger, would you do this again? They'd go, oh, absolutely.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it, it's easier, I would imagine, to sell something when when the benefits are are so great. Right, if you can convince them. But it, but you, I mean, the theme has been that you can sell anything. What's your best advice? What makes you? How do you? How do you do it?
1: As well, a salesman? I, I, yeah, I don't. I mean, if I guess I knew, I would write a book. But I think it is a combination of, I believe you know, every no gets me one step closer to a yes. And I think I have tried to create programs that I fully guarantee what we are doing. And that's really hard to do. You know, I, I and which, you know, in my, in in our golf invention, it's like, if, if, if I'm not going to do something and we can't be the best in the world at it, or really the choice that I feel in my heart someone should make, mm-hmm. then I've either got to get in a different line of work, or I've got to create a program where I can say, listen, no one can do what we, what we do.
0: When we get back, David channels his business acumen into a passion project. Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best & Flanagan. Understand, identify, manage, protect, and realize the value of your intellectual property and other business assets. Expect a customized approach from Best Flanagan, with legal advice carefully tailored to protect your interest within the context of your overall business strategy, goals, and vision. Best Flanagan, a legal team dedicated to understanding where you want to go and helping you get there. Local advocacy and advice from lawyers you know. Online at bestlaw.com. With his golf game tanking, David goes looking for help and comes up with a product he's sure he can sell to the masses.
1: I putzed around with golf as a kid, but I probably started getting passionate about golf, you know, when I was in my late twenties. I I would guess. While you were a coach. Yeah. Okay. While I was coaching
0: um and it it kind of goes hand in hand a lot of sales happened I mean it sort of follows the career you like the um were you a good golfer
1: no (laughs) no I I you know I think being a basketball player I I have I have just an amazing swing coach Joe Grupner he's I think he's the best coach in the country and you know, he was like, man, you're playing the wrong sport to be a good golfer. You know, it's, it's, if you're in hockey, obviously mm, you have tremendous advantage. Sure, sure. Baseball pitchers have yeah. a tremendous advantage um, because of the mechanics. But basketball, you know, we're, we're never looking at a, a target. We're jumping around all the time. So mm-hmm. it's, it's that eye fixation. I don't think it's, you know, it's, right. it's good to be six foot four. But no, I, I, I was, I was a I, I ballooned up to a twenty four handicap, which is not real good.
0: Okay. So, so and you were really frustrated with I that. I was really
1: frustrated because all my friends, I think mostly because of my personality, but probably my golf, they were they were getting tired of playing with me.
0: Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know That's when you're nice. a well,
1: well when you're a scratch, you don't want to play with a hack, and I was I was pretty much a hack, and so four years ago I said I'm going to change this. So I got a really good coach, mm-hmm. and we pretty much just broke down everything, and then I started, out of necessity, uh, dabbling in these training aids, and that's kind of how Pure Golf was formed.
0: Okay, so, so explain what that means. What kind of training aid?
1: Well, I, I started, so my first project, because my body was so sore hitting off indoor m- mats, is I created a, a driving range mat called Zero Impact, so this was $50,000 blown in about a year of my life. <laughs> and the mat actually works. It's it's fantastic. The problem is the cost of producing it is about $900. Mm. And I think a uh, reasonable retail for it would be about 600. Mm-hmm. So I did some math, and it didn't really work out in my now, favor. Explain something <laughs>
0: though. Your, I mean, your original goal was improve your own game, right? So you can golf with your friends, right? <laughs> and you're coming up with ways to improve your game, but are you right away thinking, "Oh, this is a product that I can sell?"
1: Well, well, the mat was yes, because I literally driving range mats. I mean, I was hitting balls and practicing every single day. Mm-hmm. And they're just awful for your body. So I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. So I created this, I, I mean, I found a, a, a brush factory in Wisconsin that had a brush machine from World War I. And it was able to create this hitting surface that was very, very unique. But one, and, and the thing works, mm-hmm. but it, it just, there was never any Too money expensive. in it. Yeah, okay. it, was, it was never. So then while I was doing that, I always used alignment sticks. And I was like, there's got to be a better way to use alignment sticks because right now people just buy two sticks from Home Depot that are little snow marking, you know, poles, right? Okay.
0: And the idea of right. the alignment sticks, I'm not a golfer, is, is just, to just to literally line like, up your right, shot.
1: Right. So I, I think I have an advantage over teachers and that I was so bad. I know what it's like to be bad. And I think that the problem with golf, it's like, it's like shooting a free throw times a thousand. Because why do people struggle from the free throw line? It's not necessarily the mechanics, it's all the crap that's in their head. Mm. And because you have time to think about all the crap, you're standing there for 10, 15 seconds going, oh my God, let's not shoot an air ball, right? Mm-hmm. And golf, I think struggling golfers, the difference between a great golfer, a great golfer has a free mind, a struggling golfer has 17,000 really bad things going around in their head. Mm-hmm. And one of those is is proper alignment. And so I was like, I'm going to create something where I know when I'm practicing, I am lined up and I want to position my shoulders, my feet, my club face, et cetera, et cetera, correctly. So that- And there that, was nothing on the market. There, 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 there are similar- there are some things that aren't real good, mm-hmm. um, but there, what, what we have come up with now, no, there's nothing on the market like it. Okay. So
0: how did you, you knew what it needed to do. How did you start? I mean, did you start like literally building something yourself? Yeah.
1: I, so I went to, uh, the gentleman has now passed away, unfortunately, but he was a retired, I guess you would call him an artisan kind of artistic welder. Hmm. and I stumbled upon him, and I went, so we started welding these pieces. I had an idea. He would weld it. I'd go back the next day, pay him 150 bucks, and this went on for a couple months, and he was actually very mean to me. <laughs> um, what do you mean? Well, he, he always made me pay cash. I was like, can I pay you at the end of the week and pay you 1000 and said, and one day he he said to me something like, do you know how many morons like you have walked in this door over the last 35 years? <laughs> and he said, none of, you know, inventors at all. And he said, none of you ever follow through and I looked at him and I said, "Well, I'm not quitting." Wow. So
0: but were at that point would you say were you more driven by improving your
1: own game oh yes, or yes. Coming,
0: it was more about that than coming up it, with a commercial it, it product. It was my
1: own game, but after probably 2 weeks I was like, "Man, I think I've got something here." Mm. So the the that's where Pureline started and then you know, I've always, uh, I'm not a real good sleeper, and I've always had a notebook next to my bed where I jot down things or motivational sayings that come to my mind or things we should work on in practice. And I woke up one night, and I started drawing out this this putting device, mm-hmm. which was kind of weird because I, I had a garage full of putting devices that I didn't like, and so I used them four times and threw them away. Mm-hmm. So maybe I had walked by and, and, and seen this tub of putting crap, and yeah. I, I, I don't know why. It just came to me. I, I don't know why. And so so I, I walked back to the welder, and I said, hey, I got something new. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, God. And that's, <laughs> Give me the cash. And that's where the putting system was born, and I probably— and I literally am on iteration, we're done now, probably 310. 310. Uh, oh, it was, and, and I knew I had something when this was probably iteration 50. I was down at Fort Myers um, on the putting green, and this one, it literally, it broke. It, was, it broke in my luggage on the way down. So I taped it up with bright orange duct tape. Mm-hmm. And I was on the putting green, and I noticed a guy... On the driving range, he was really good. I, could, I was like, man, that guy's good. And this guy walked over to me, and he said, hey, can I use this? And I said, sure. So I explained it to him, and he used it for 10 minutes, and he goes, I want to buy this. And I started laughing. I'm like, it's held together by duct tape. He's like, I don't care. He's like, this is the greatest putting trainer I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Well, it turns out that he was a former uh, British or Canadian British. Canadian Open champion and like a four-time uh, All-American at Arizona State. Hmm. So that's when I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not completely crazy. That's so some the, good validation. Yeah. So then I bought five 3D printers and I hired a guy to run them and we basically have been running 3D printers 24 hours a day, for now probably little over three years.
0: Can you explain to everyone? Give us a visual, like what this thing actually looks like.
1: Well, you, it's it's very it's very hard to do. It is a It is a uh, device that um, uh, has two strings on it for eye alignment, which is the most critical part of golf. And it's the only way uh, by pure physics and the only way in the world you can tell where your eyes are aligned.
0: Can I say something? Yeah, I saw it. I got to to, to play around with it a little bit. It doesn't appear to be very high tech, right? It looks no. kind of basic. And yes. yet the engineering and the thought and the iterations that have gone into it are just kind of mind blowing.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean it, it actually so um yeah, I, I I would agree with everything you said. And and I when I did this, I said if I don't believe this is unequivocally the best petting, putting device in the world, we're not going to market. And I have So the the process has been the last three years, and with an incredible amount of expense, we would take a device, we would go show it to someone. We'd send it to a university, or I'd fly to Phoenix. And I liked to talk to people who had no idea who I was, because I think some people who know me, they're afraid to give me feedback. (laughs) So, right, unless they really know me and know that my feelings can't be hurt. And so I would walk into a pro shop, I'd say, can I show this to you? Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, Joe Smith, the PGA pro would go, oh, uh, yeah, this is kind of cool. But if it could do this, it'd be really cool. And I'm like, okay, I'll figure out. And he's like, well, no, that's, you can't ever do that. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. So I literally have heard this hundreds of times. So then we would go back to the drawing board and try to incorporate his idea. Mm-hmm. And then we would do it again and try to incorporate his. So the, the end result is... um Literally a machine. I I have strong feelings on, I'm not a, a putting expert, but I have very strong feelings on how you should putt, but I don't care how you putt. Because whatever your putting philosophy is, this machine can be morphed into training, reinforcing, and perfecting how you believe you should putt. And that's pretty unique.
0: And and can you explain what it is? I mean, what is the breakthrough? How does it help you get better?
1: Well, it, the, the eye alignment is a huge part of it. And then we have these things called truth gates. And these gates are swinging gates that you put through. And people have used this concept for decades, putting two T's on the ground, putting little two marbles on a plate, whatever. But the problem is that, first of all, putting two tees on the ground is really, really inaccurate. But when your ball hits the tee, the ball gets jammed up. So these truth gates allow the ball to pass. So you know if you're off, um, but they allow the ball to pass through and you can still see the speed of your putt. Mm -hmm. So the truth gates are set up at, and this is all through pretty scientific, uh, you know, we've been, this isn't just by random there's 2.5 millimeters of clearance so the when you putt from 6 inches it's basically equivalent to making a 5 foot putt when you putt from a foot it's equivalent to making a 10 foot putt when you putt from a foot and a half where when we do our contests mm-hmm. it's set up from a foot and a half you have a 0.3 degree margin of error off your club face so this is something that the human eye could never could never detect. Is there
0: ever a moment where you're like, you're doing all this, you're doing these calculations and you're making this and you're like, this is all to get better at a game with a little white ball?
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And I I think that's, I I look at it, I mean, we have had such tremendous feedback from kids Mm -hmm. um, because this is, you can turn this into a game, right? I can take a seven-year-old who would want to putt for 20 seconds and then start putting the ball 50 feet into the, you know, the clubhouse driveway. Mm -hmm. And they will sit there for an hour and putt because this is a game to them. Hmm. But that's part of the reason is I I think golf is a beautiful game and it is really, really hard. Yeah. And I want people to enjoy golf.
0: Right. So have you been selling your pure golf device I mean, have you sold earlier iterations? Or we we it... have.
1: We have sold uh, a couple hundred iterations. We've probably sold a thousand sets of alignment sticks just by word of mouth. Mm-hmm. I have not advertised. I have not. Yeah, and this we're, is we're, all self-funded. Oh yes, unfortunately. <laughs> and <laughs> we we right now. So the yes, we have sold. Um, we have pre-orders for the. Uh, for the pure putting system. So right now, um, we have three guys in Canada Mm -hmm. who are unbelievable plastics engineers and avid golfers. So I signed a contract with them yesterday. Mm. So they are taking this device, which uh, me, the basketball coach, has designed, and they're making it, in their words, beautiful Mm -hmm. and functional. So right now, I think when this is done, it is going to be incredibly pleasing to the eye. It's going to be easier to put together. It's going to be more portable, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So we are doing some very quiet fundraising right now. I actually have raised in the last week from friends who have been at these shows with me and witnessed the feedback golf shows right right
0: which is where you and I met the right Minnesota golf show right
1: so I've raised a quarter million dollars um nice. and I probably have another quarter million to go because manufa- the molding people don't understand you know they're like oh it's plastic yeah the the parts are going to cost me twenty dollars when we're done but it's going to be hundred and fifty thousand dollars in molding so the how much m- is this going to retail for uh, it's no one has balked at the price of $198, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty high. But when people use it and see what they do, I mean, it's basically going to cost you two rounds of golf, right? Mm. So, um, and hopefully it'll come down as we become more more streamlined in our in our costs.
0: Are you at a point yet where you're trying to sell it to retailers? Do you want to go through retailers? No, I, I
1: will never. So when I... When I ran this company called Nordic Innovation, um, you know, that's all we did. We tried to get into Dick Sporting Goods and REI and mm-hmm. Target and blah, blah, blah. I don't ever think this will be in retail. Why? Um, I, just, I just don't think, you know, I, 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 I just don't see Dick Sporting Goods being able to sell like we can sell. I think golfers are savvy enough. We're going to do a great job marketing so it. So is it pro shops or is it all online? No, it'll be all online, but we, we have a very interesting model. So whether you're a PGA teacher or a pro shop or an a influencer or a college golfer or whatever, I have a team of ambassadors lined up. We're probably at a couple hundred now and would like to get to a couple thousand mm-hmm. where, let's say you were an ambassador, you would have a code. And when you went out to your followers or your influence or whatever, they would get 20% off and then you would get a 20% royalty check every three months. So that's really how I'm, I'm going to grow this business.
0: Hmm. That's great. Yeah. Um, knowing everything that it took to get to this place where you're mm-hmm. feeling pretty confident that you've got it locked in now, w- would you do anything differently? Or do you need to go through all the iterations and all the expense to get here?
1: Yeah, I I don't know what, you know, I I think there were times where I printed 50 of iteration 110 when I probably should have Mm. printed three. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of plastic that needs to be recycled. (laughs) Um, I'm glad I haven't taken on investors to this point. Um, Why? Because I've been... I've been able to maintain my independence. I went through two song and dances about a year ago with guys I didn't know that were literally, you know, they, these guys had a lot of money. And it was a great process looking at the financials, et cetera. In both cases, we literally came to signing day of the contract and, you know, the one guy was like, hey uh, I got this buddy I want you to hire as the marketing director. Mm.
2: I'm I'm
1: like, what? He's like, yeah, you know, he only needs a hundred grand a year. And I mean, this guy was putting in a million dollars. Right. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not going to live my life like this. I'm not. uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I could just sense what was going to happen six months from now. So you walked away. So I walked away, which was very hard because I was bleeding money at the time. Yeah. But, um, you know, I want partners. Life is too short, and, and I, I mean, I want partners who give me feedback, et cetera. But, you know, if, if this wasn't my my company, then I would just sell it, right? So I, I, want, to, I want to be able to proceed mm-hmm. with good people around me, and I've, I've got a good team around me right now. Um, Do you
0: have employees?
1: No, no. I've got, I've got a, a guy named Dan West. Uh, he's my marketing guy. And he's, he's got skin in the game, right? So I'm, I'm giving him a a percentage Mm -hmm. of if the company has ever sold. So he's been Mm -hmm. working for free and then, uh, and, and I've got other, other people kind of involved. I've, you know, got guys running the 3d printers, et cetera, but it's pretty much a team of one.
0: What is your ultimate goal with this? Is it just to, to have the best golf game of your life? Is it to be, you know, make a ton of money off this thing? Is it to just improve golf for the world? What would you say is the ultimate goal? Yes,
1: yes, yes. All all of the above. I mean, I, you know, it's, I've lowered my handicap to nine and I really, it's kind of embarrassing. I have been so busy. I have played uh, virtually no golf in the last (laughs) nine months, which is really killing me. (laughs) So, I mean, my goal was to get to a six. I think I can, and that's pretty good. I mean, Mm -hmm. for a 57-year-old fat guy. So (laughs) I – but, uh, yeah, I want to get better. I want to grow the game. I want to help kids be successful. Um, Obviously, I would like to make a nice living on it, uh, a living at it. But How long
0: do you think it will take? What are your business projections at this point?
1: You know, it's – the I have some friends in the golf business who have non-competing project products, and you know they're not going to open up their books to me. I I think we will sell between five and ten thousand units the first year. Mm-hmm. I think if I uh, if the stars align, we could sell fifty thousand units a year hmm. And um, that's I mean, at, uh, uh, hey, I'm, I'm not bashful. Right. At 10,000 units, um, I'm making a really, really, really good living. Yeah. And, and I think there's a very good chance someone is going to swoop in and buy me out, which. And would you be OK with that oh, yeah, at this point? Yeah. I've got a lot of other things I can do. But I I mean, I, I could see myself carrying this thing to yeah, for the next 20 years. And I think there's a possibility that six months now from now I'm collecting royalty checks.
0: Is it more? Has it been more fun or frustrating?
1: Oh, this whole journey. Well, I think part of the it's fun because it's frustrating. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And it's this has been interesting because I have I have tremendous lifelong friends. I'm I'm really really blessed. I'm in a very unique circle of friends and out of those i would call closest 20 friends i two of them have believed in me and 18 have basically thought i'm out of my mind hmm. and so i can only imagine what they're saying when i'm not in the room but you know and i was thinking about this today when I was, I was driving over here that if i went and started a a basket you know i took over some struggling high school or college basketball team all 20 of them would have no doubt mm-hmm. right but I think, I think this is, you know, the the one thing that I believe in. Uh, well, I'll I'll ask you the question. So, if you took the last ten years, the top thousand inventions in the world, not mm-hmm. like but Shark Tank inventions, right? Mm-hmm. I was gonna say so, this feels so, kind of like right. Shark. So, yeah. so if you took the top thousand inventions, mm-hmm. how many? Other inventions of equal success are sitting in someone's closet. Oh, I'm sure. How many do you think? Thousands, don't oh, you think? Oh, five, Thousands. ten, ten thousand. Yeah. Oh, I, I, think, I think there are people sitting in, there, there are things sitting in people's closets that mm-hmm. could change the world. Right. And sure. I don't I don't want this to sit in the closet. right? But I
0: think that's that's the thing. A lot of us have ideas. But but being able to take it from idea to execution and to stick with it, that's something else. You've well, gotta, it, that's well a,
1: it is. And it's not. I, I mean, I think to everyone's, you know, there's two sides to the coin. I think that and I'm, I'm not what makes someone's someone great is also someone's demon. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. Yeah, I'm wired differently than my friends are, mm-hmm. for better in in many ways, for worse, right? Right. But right. that's just the way I'm wired, and I've been like that my whole life. So I don't I don't know if it's a genetic thing. I don't know if it's yeah environmental. I have no idea. <laughs> just, it is what it is. It, it is you got to see it through. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, it's an amazing story, and you had some really amazing validation recently from PGA. Yeah. Can you share? that? Yeah, so
1: we were at the PGA show in Orlando, which is the largest golf show in the world. And it is not a consumer-based show. It is only, I mean, you have to get credentials to get in there. And on the second day, um, you know, and there's, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of golf items there. I think if you walked the entire show and didn't talk to anyone, it might take you a day to walk the entire show. hmm and a guy like four booths down from me, he was holding his cell phone and he re- was walking really fast. And he goes, did you pay $50,000 for this? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he showed me uh, PGA.com had an article that was titled, uh, I, I don't even know, three, three things you need for 2023. Mm-hmm. And we were the only training aid listed. So that that was pretty amazing. And I never even I don't the guy came by our booth. I never even talked to him. Yeah. So I've always been skeptical of that. Like, okay, who greased someone's. Sure. What does it really take to get mentioned? Right. Yeah. So so that that was a that was a huge validation um, for us and and has helped greatly with publicity. Well,
0: people can place advanced orders now. Right. Yes. When, when are the uh, when are you going to have products ready?
1: Uh, we are hoping June first. That might be a little bit, but sometime early early summer we will will ship out the real deal.
0: Okay. Yeah. This is this is the year we all we all improve our handicap.
1: Yes. Okay. Exactly. All you right. got to practice, right? Okay. <laughs> I, that, I can't promise is, I'm
0: going to, but I'll be cheering. for Yeah. You. That
1: is the problem. You have to practice. You okay. have to use it. It doesn't do any good sitting in the corner of your living room.
0: Ultimately when you sum it all up, are there parallels between coaching and being an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah. Um yes, I think being an entrepreneur is very lonely. Um you know, the thing I miss about coaching is the interaction uh with with people, those relationships built. Um you know, but I, I was I I'm preparing, I'm giving a leadership talk in Norway this summer. And, you know, people always ask like, what is, what is, I don't know if this is answering your question or why it's popping in my head. That's okay. But it's like, what is leadership? And, and I don't know how to, I've given probably a hundred seminars on leadership and I don't have an answer besides this, that Leadership to me, is it's a a picture. And, you know, in every movie, there's a deep, dark forest, right? A place that you don't want to go, right? Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. whatever. And leadership is, you know, I picture uh, me, so a guy and 15 people, right? And at some point, leadership is, I've got them all tied up, and they've got nowhere to go, and I'm pulling them. And that You don't want to do that very often, right? But there are times being a leader, you've got to, like, say, trust me and they don't trust you. Right. And it's a little bit of force. And then it hopefully evolves to you running out in front and they're holding onto the rope following you. And then you're all running side by side. And then at a point, they're running in front of you, and you're just picking up the stragglers and motivating them to run faster, right? Mm-hmm. But all the time, you have no idea what the hell's out in the forest, right? And, and that, to me, is kind of, I guess, what—and and the more you coach, the more you lead. You know, I, I, I got to the point in basketball that it was beautiful as I knew what was going to happen. Right, every team was the same way. I could like predict, and I would do this to the team. I would write down and I'd pull a card out of my pocket and I'd say, this is what I knew was gonna happen today. And they were mm-hmm. like, what's wrong, what is? But I, I knew the process, so it was easier because I knew what that black forest was like.
0: Sure, you don't have but, that same predictability with a startup.
1: But you have, no, I have no idea. I, 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 I still don't know what the black forest is. Mhm. But I know I'm going to listen and I'm not going to give up and I'm going to, you know, keep forging ahead and understand that when you get kicked down, you just get back up. It's really interesting because I've stopped reading books because it, it's like you you have these schools of thought, you know, don't make a mistake. Ask people around you for their opinion, right? And, mm-hmm. and I have just stopped doing that because if I had listened, but that is... But I think that can lead you to, you know, there are people that have stupid ideas, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and they lose a lot of money. But I think that is part of the risk. Because if I had listened to people around me, I wouldn't have proceeded after three months. Right. right? That comes it, up a
0: lot. You, it, The entrepreneurs have to get used to hearing no and yes. rush it off and keep going.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is absolutely. So... I mean, this is a risky, it's a risky business, right? Mm-hmm. And, and maybe, you know, maybe this isn't going to work and I'm going to look back at it and go, oh, my God, I spent $300,000 in four years out of my life. And, but I do, I do believe there's uh, the end in sight of success is, is closer and closer.
0: Right. Well, yeah. and at least your, your golf game is Better than ever, and my golf game is better. <laughs> yes. That's what it's really all about.
1: Yeah, yeah that'd be a damn expensive uh, investment in my golf that's game. It's a very expensive yeah.
0: golf game. But if you hadn't done it, you would always have been wondering. Oh, absolutely. It would have absolutely. always bugged you. You had to scratch the itch. Well, yeah. I'm. I, I think there are probably a lot of golfers out there that are going to be very grateful that you persevered. Oh, so.
1: oh, I, I, yes, there would be no better reward than than that, mm-hmm. and and we got that at the PGA show. Mm-hmm. Uh, this weekend. I mean, there there were a couple just incredible episodes with kids that, oh, one of them, I started crying.
0: Really? So, oh,
1: it was, yeah, it was just, a, it was amazing.
0: Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's the reward. David Swan, yes. it's an amazing story. Can't wait to see what you do next.
1: Thank you very much. All
0: right. Well, if you believe David and he sure is convincing, you might want to go to pure, that's P-U-R dot golf and check out the product. He's got a good deal on it right now. Of course, David already has his next idea, too, which we'll save that for a future episode. But the whole mentality of solving the problem but never giving up, is it—is it commitment or is it a little bit crazy? Let's examine. We need to go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, where Alec Johnson thinks a lot about that dynamic of inventor versus innovator. And I am so curious, Alec, as you were listening to this with your academic lens, does David come across as really driven to get this done? Or at a certain point, would you say, this is kind of nuts to keep pouring money into this thing?
3: Well, that that is the big question. When do you stop pouring money into your idea? Right. And I love Pure Golf because I am a recent uh, convert to the sport and could probably benefit from his solutions. Uh-huh. And, and, and there was a comment that David made during your interview with him that really caught my eye. And that was this, uh, he, he referenced, you know, there's this assumption that entrepreneurs are these giant risk takers. And I sort of liken that romantic notion to um, playing craps in Vegas, right, Hmm. where you have no control over the outcome of what you're doing. And I think a lot of people think about entrepreneurs as these sort of Vegas style risk takers. Hmm. And the truth is, there's a whole range of behaviors with entrepreneurs. And on one end, I, I sort of call them the bad entrepreneurs. They're the ones who don't want to look at the risk in, in their idea. They, they really rather bury their head in the sand and not even acknowledge it.
1: Mm-hmm. And they're
3: the same ones who are also afraid to, for example, share their ideas with others because it, it might be stolen from them. And, and what I've observed over 28 years with working with entrepreneurs is what they're really afraid of is somebody telling them there's a problem with the idea. Mm-hmm. On the other end, are the good ones. And you've interviewed a lot of them, including David, uh-huh. who, who actually see the risk and then go to work managing it. Doesn't mean we always do it perfectly, uh-huh. but there's that whole spectrum of behavior. And the ones, the good ones, they embrace it and they work it. And I would, I would cite example uh, for David is, there, there's a lot of retail risk, he acknowledged in, in taking this product to retail and it seems to me like he's developed a pretty innovative sales approach using the ambassadors. And that that's a risk management technique.
0: There he but he has just been so committed in I mean in I mean I feel like a lot of people would have given up or said oh, you know what this is this is an interesting idea but it's just not sellable or I can't get it to the right price and he has put so much of his time and Personal money into this. How do the rest of us balance that out? How do you know when it's time to say, no, this isn't going to work?
3: You don't. You don't know. And and as a failed technology entrepreneur, I had a better sense of that moment than my partner did. And and I called it early. And, Mm -hmm. And that's really hard because there's this other romantic notion that if you just persevere and you keep putting the hours in sooner or later, you're going to catch your break. Mm-hmm. Well, well, the market doesn't really feel like it owes any of us that. Yeah. And, and so that, that really brings up this idea that there's a difference between an inventor and an innovator. Hmm. The so? inventor has a solution and goes out and, and maybe tries to seek a problem it solves, does not have a strong market or customer focus. The innovator is just the opposite they 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 take in the voice of the customer significantly in, in adapting their solution to the market's needs and, and David mm-hmm. did that. he talked about taking this to golf pros and retail shops and saying, listening to how it could be improved and made better right well that that ability to do that directly impacts your belief about. When you might decide to push forward or call it quits by listening to what the market's telling you, versus not listening to anyone and just pushing forward blindly.
0: So, do you kind of need to be both to be a successful entrepreneur, innovator, and inventor?
3: No, you you absolutely do not need to be either. What? How about that? How how is that? Well, I I might go and buy the uh, uh, dry cleaner. That is just, you know, a few blocks from my house. And rightly so, even Mm -hmm. acquiring a business, somebody might say I'm an entrepreneur, but that is neither an invention nor particularly innovative. Mm -hmm. I'm just acquiring something that's already there. So most certainly the bigger ideas that create much larger revenues and value probably originate as inventions. But but the founder has made the transition to innovator and incorporating the voice of the customer. That, that is it. very typical of much larger ideas.
0: You're actually going to be teaching this very concept of invention versus innovation to a class of engineering students, is it?
3: That's correct. So we have a cohort of master's students in engineering from all disciplines who are uh, going to be paired with undergraduate students trained in gathering the voice of the customer, human-centered design. And and those undergraduate students are going to work as consultants with the engineering students to bring that point of view to their design solutions. So we're going to be running that as a class uh, for both engineering and business students uh, spring of 2024. Wow,
0: you'll have to report back.
3: I look forward to it.
0: Good deal. I wonder if the next next hot product could come right out of that class. Keep an eye. Hole in one. Yes, indeed. And good luck with your golf game this summer, Alec. I need it. Thank you, Allison. (laughs) Thank you so much, as always. And thank you to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. And thanks again for listening to By All Means. It takes teamwork to make "By All Means," and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer Tom Frilidi, digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of Saint Thomas Opus College of Business and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Dean Laura Dunham, for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to "By All Means."